0: Uh, So we're in a teaching series right now over the parables, the parables. And um, what we've said about parables is that they are earthly stories about heavenly realities. So more than cleverly told tales of, of, of public speaking rhetoric, Jesus told parables to reveal reality. The Gospels tell us that the Son of Man descended from heaven. So Jesus came from heaven to earth. But how do you explain the realities of heaven to people who have never been there? How do you do that? Well, you're going to have to use some analogies, right? And that's what Jesus does. This equals this. So Jesus uses people and events and experiences That we're familiar with to help us know and understand what we're not familiar with. To to help us understand what he's familiar with. He entered this world from his world and so he uses the stuff of earth to explain the eternal realities of heaven. So parables help us understand what God's home is like. You want to know what God's home is like? Well, the parables help us see different facets. This is how my home operates. And since we're going to be living with God forever in His home, why, let's get used to that now. See, that's the point. So we're looking at various parables, and today we're going to look at the parable of the rich fool. The parable of the rich fool. Take your Bibles and meet me in the New Testament book of Luke, chapter 12. Luke, chapter 12, and I'm going to read verses 13 to 21. The parable of the rich fool, and you'll find that on page 871 of your church Bibles. There are trays beneath your chair, and either below your chair or next to your chair will be a Bible, and so if you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own, please take it and uh, keep it as your copy, and uh, I, want you to have, I want you to have a copy of the Scriptures if you don't have one, and you'll find Luke 12, 13-21 on page 871, page 871, the parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to him, that's Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool. This night, your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. So as we consider this parable, the parable of the rich fool what what I want to do is I want to talk about the context of this parable I want to set the stage for this parable I want us to think about what the story is behind the parable Jesus told this parable based on a conversation that he had with someone in a crowd And that conversation led to this parable so let's talk about the context first then let's consider the parable we'll just dig right into the parable after that and then we'll get to the big idea of the parable so there's a big idea coming our way just hang on and we'll get there all right let's think first about the context or the 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 story behind the parable and you're going to have to go back up in uh, verse 1 for us to appreciate the context, verse one says that thousands of people were gathering to hear Jesus. So many thousands had gathered together. Verse one says that they were trampling on one another, so it was getting uncomfortable in the crowd as the crowd was pressing in on Jesus, and they were, and so Jesus was speaking to his disciples, and, there, and then there was the crowd who was. They were overhearing what Jesus was speaking to his disciples. So you had Jesus, you had his disciples, and then you had the crowds gathering around. They had heard about Jesus, they had heard about his miracles and his teachings, and, uh, and also his enemies were there as well. Did you catch that? If you go back up to chapter 11, verse 54, 53 and 54, it says that the Pharisees began to press him hard and provoke him to speak about many things lying in wait for him so they were trying to bait jesus so jesus is there his disciples are there the crowds are there the the enemies are there and they've all got their agendas you see they've got their agenda and and but jesus is unmoved he says don't fear the pharisees don't fear their hypocrisy Don't worry about people who can merely kill your body. Rather, he says, fear God. That's right, fear God. You matter to God. You're more important to God than the Pharisees. You're more important to God than the sparrows, Jesus says in chapter 12. Jesus says God knows the numbers of the hairs of your head. And then he says to his disciples in verses 8 and following, I want you to don't fear, instead be courageous. Don't shrink back from acknowledging me before others. And don't worry about what you say before your persecutors. Such is the assurance of Jesus' own identity. He knows who He is. He is the Son of Man. He is God in the flesh who's come from heaven to earth. And He does not want the people, He does not want His disciples to shrink back or be afraid of who He is and what He came to do. And when persecuted, He says to His followers, I don't want you to worry about what you're going to say even in the moment of your trial because the Holy Spirit of God will give give you the words that you need to say so 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 randy you need to prepare for your sermons in front of god's people but if you're ever before persecutors don't worry about what you're going to say the holy spirit will speak through you in that moment in that time and he will tell you what to say in that very hour amen that's what's going on and then all of a sudden, almost like out of nowhere, someone interrupts with this demand. Verse 13, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. <laughs> Where did that come from? Right? Right? You've had conversations with people, or maybe you've led classroom discussions, or maybe you've been in front of a group and you're on this track, and then all of a sudden someone waves their hand and says, Well, what about this? Where'd that come from? Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. What's that about? Well, 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 here's what that's about. In Hebrew culture, one of the roles of a rabbi would be to issue a ruling on the law of moses and according to the law of moses in deuteronomy 21 17 deuteronomy 21 17 you can write that down deuteronomy 21 17 the law said that the elder brother would receive twice as much of an inheritance as the other siblings that's that was the law of moses there and so if there were two brothers the elder brother would receive two-thirds of the estate And and, and evidently, this younger brother hasn't received his share yet. So he makes a demand of Jesus, right? Again, Jesus is talking about, don't be afraid, don't be anxious, don't worry about the Pharisees, don't worry about persecutors, acknowledge me. Hey, divide my inheritance with me. Notice what he doesn't say. Teacher, I'm having a very difficult conflict with my brother. I love him. He's my own flesh. I want to honor our Father's desires for us to be unified and live at peace with each other. Would you please help us? Would you please listen to him and then listen to me and then help us live together in peace? Would you please bring us together? Not quite. Not quite. What's he say? Teacher, tell my brother he's wrong and I'm right. So, so this guy wants Jesus to rubber stamp his point of view. He's not seeking a sovereign king. Rather, he's seeking a service provider. And that's what he wants. Jesus, deliver me some law. I want some law. Careful what you ask Jesus for. Okay. Now, by the way, back then, it was considered an honor for a rabbi to handle these kinds of disputes. And uh, in fact, history tells us that there was a rabbi in Israel who was a contemporary of Jesus. His name was Yohanan ben Zaki, Yohanan ben Zaki. And Yohanan and ben Zaki lived in Galilee for a time uh, until he moved to Jerusalem. And the reason why he moved from Galilee to Jerusalem was because he wasn't hearing enough cases. So it would be like, um, you know, uh, maybe a a judge moving from downstate Illinois to Chicago to hear more cases uh, to kind of enhance the career. Jesus refused. You see that? He refused. In fact, He answers him. He addresses him. He says, man, man. And by the way, that wasn't a compliment. That was a rebuke. It was a rebuke. Why? Because Jesus said that the real problem he detected, he saw that the real problem wasn't the inheritance. The real problem was a self-centered will. That was the real problem. One, one brother was committing greed by hoarding the inheritance, and the other brother was committing greed by craving the inheritance, and Jesus refused to do that which would finalize an already divided relationship. He wasn't going to do that. That word arbitrator who appointed me as, as judge or arbitrator over you, that word arbitrator uh, is, is the word divider. And Jesus said, I'm not I'm not I'm not come to do this kind of dividing all right I haven't yeah yeah verse 14 you want me to fix your brother I want to fix your heart and Jesus warns the man against covetousness or greed covetousness or greed take care verse 15 and be on your guard against all covetousness covetousness It's it's, it's a word that can either mean covetousness or greed, greed, greed. What is greed? Greed is the assumption that it's there for my consumption. That's greed. Greed makes you want more and more of what you already have enough of. Greed leads you to thirst for bigger, faster, quicker, newer, higher, better, Greed makes you think that your identity is the quantity of your commodities. And Brian Rosner is a New Testament scholar, and he summarizes greed this way. He says, greed craves acquiring and keeping more and more money and possessions because you love, trust, and obey wealth rather than God. Furthermore, Jesus says, take care. Or watch out. Why would he say that? Because greed is very difficult to detect in your own heart, isn't it? Now, I can see greed in your heart, but it's hard to see greed in my own heart. I I can see greed in your mirror, but to detect it in my own is another story. And and so my blindness to covetousness leads me to think, "Well, well, they got a promotion, Why didn't I? Why didn't I? And that promotion could be anywhere from being manager at Taco Bell to manager of Chase Bank. It doesn't matter. It also doesn't matter if I'm qualified for the promotion or not. I just think I deserve it. Then the assumption is that everybody else is happier with their situation than I am with mine, and that propels greed. And so as long as I assume that that who I am is what I have, then I'm not only going to desire my more, but your less. See how that works? So so greed is a factory that manufactures artificial poverty. And that's when Jesus told the parable. So that's, that's the background. Now the parable. Verse 16. Once there was an already wealthy farmer who had a bumper crop. So he was already wealthy, and then he had a bumper crop. And it was one of those rare years, Jesus says, when the prices and the production were at their peak. So, so this farmer not only harvested over and above, it was over and above, his already over and above. And that's a good problem, by the way. That's a very good problem. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? Look at verse 17. Verse 17 says he has a committee meeting with himself. That's What he had. He thought to himself. Literally, he dialogued with himself. He dialogued with himself. Now, in the Middle, in the Middle East, then and in many cultures now, community is such a highly valued cultural trait. Village folks made decisions about important matters after discussing the situation long and hard with trusted friends. But it seems as if this farmer has no friends. He, he's a loner. He's a loner. The prophet Isaiah warns that wealth can breed isolation. Isaiah 5 and 8. Isaiah 5 and Verse 8, woe to those who join house to house, who add field to field until there is no more room and you are made to dwell alone in the midst of the land. Wealth can breed isolation. Think about it. Think about it, church. This farmer has become the fortunate recipient of an unexpected blessing and it was a blessing on top of his already blessed life and now he has a very important decision to make and the only person with whom he can seek counsel is himself himself so so he says you know I don't have enough room to store all my surplus surplus now, now you and I know exactly what he should do, right? You, you, we know exactly what he should do. I mean, if you don't have enough room to store all your surplus surplus, maybe you should look around the room and see other people and think of them, right? Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can see the greed in his mirror, but he can't see it. He can't see it. He just assumes, well, my extra is for me. When, when, when my basement stock is full, it's time to build a bigger basement. That's just his default, see. So, so verse 18 says, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grains and my goods. That's just, that's just how he thinks. And he hasn't even thought about the logistics of what he's going to do with the surplus while he's tearing down what he needs to tear down so that he can build what he wants to build, right? He hasn't even thought that through. But here's the deeper problem. Here's the deeper question. And the question is this. Why does he want to build bigger barns? Why? Why does he want to build a bigger barn for his extra, extra? Why? Verse 19, verse 19. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. So, 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 so he assumes that the length of his life, equals the abundance of his possessions. I have X number of years of stuff, therefore I must have X number of years of my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, 1,500 years ago, a pastor by the name of Augustine, a North African bishop, he once said, he once said, My soul is restless until it finds its rest in thee. But this fella thought, my soul is restless until it finds an overabundance of food and drink. See? Now, let me just stop here and acknowledge this. What this guy did is a perfect plan if this world is all there is. Okay? If if this world is all there is, then what he... It just makes sense. If there's if there's no God, if this world is all there is, then but what if there's this world and the world to come? And what if both worlds are governed by a sovereign God? What what if? Well, well, late one evening, after kissing his wife goodnight, he went downstairs to his basement study. His mind was racing, he couldn't sleep. He was excited about these new plans for the new barns, and he wanted to look them over one more time. And, and so uh, while he's looking over, he feels, he feels his chest tighten a bit. And, and, then, and then the tightening becomes a stabbing pain. He felt the stabbing pain in his shoulder and then down into his chest. And all those years of all that stress and too much cholesterol and too many cigars caught up with him and his arteries hardened, and his blood couldn't get through, and his heart arrested, and the next morning, his wife found him slumped over at his desk. And oh, the funeral! Everyone in the community spoke of his success. People praised his work ethic and his business savvy. Paul-bearers carried his casket to the grave. The gravestone had his name there. And and then there was the, the two sets of numbers and the dash in between, right? And there was a brief statement of how successful and hardworking and visionary this guy was. And then after the amen, they all went home. And do you know that night an angel of the Lord appeared and etched one word across the man's tombstone. Afron. Afron. Say that with me on three. One, two, three. Afron. Afron. It's a Greek word. It means fool. Fool. Jesus didn't call him wicked. He didn't call him horrible. He didn't call him evil. He called him stupid. Aphron. We, 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 we get our word diaphragm. You can hear the word diaphragm, aphrom, from. The, 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 right here. The, it, it, it's the seat of your emotions. It's the throne of your thinking. Your capacities. And Jesus said, this man didn't have one. He was without. He was without space, without reason, without reflection, without thinking. Because his life was built on the foolish assumption that if he just had more stuff, it would all be good. And his plan worked until it didn't. Folks, have you seen the latest statistics on death? And verse 20 says, And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Whose will they be? What's the answer to that question? Someone else's. That's the answer to that question. Someday, someone else will get your house, your property, your finances, your possessions, your car, your books. Yes, mine too. My commentaries are gonna. Someone else is going to get them. My car, my books, my clothes, my furniture. Someday, there's going to be an estate sale over your stuff. And people will buy it pennies on the dollar. Someday, someone else will get all you own. All of it. And it's really not because you've been generous. It's because you're dead. And as smart as this wealthy farmer was, he made four foolish mistakes. Mistake number one. He assumed that his life equaled his possessions. I am my stuff. That's an afron that's an assumption is what that is. Number two, he assumed that he had control over his crop. He assumed that. He, he, he assumed, I am the source of my stuff. He didn't control his crop. The Bible does not say that he made the crop. What does it say? The text says that the ground produced the good crop. So, so he had no control over the weather or the rain or the insects or the locusts. He was not the source of his extra. God was. Thirdly, He thought he controlled the length of his life, but he didn't. He didn't. Listen, listen, listen. As your pastor who loves you, the day we accept that at any moment a semi-trailer might run a stop sign and take us out of the loop is the day that we will be less inclined to be morally and spiritually careless. Our unpredictability about death can keep us from recklessly allowing a spat with a loved one to fester into a prolonged icy silence. And the fourth major mistake was that he thought his life was his own. Do Do you see this in the text? You can see this in the text. Note how many times the word i is used i 6 times i what shall i do i have nowhere i will do i will tear down i will store i will say see that he had an i problem and then and then 5 times it was accompanied with a my problem do you see that that's there intentionally to convey meaning Right? My crops, my barns, my grain, my goods, my soul, my soul. So, so he learned belatedly that not only his possessions, but his very life was on loan from God. And verse 21 says, So it will be, so it will be, so it will be means, in the same way, so, so, so this man was completely wiped out because somebody else got all he owned and he had absolutely nothing to show for it in the life to come. This guy thought that after he was done storing up all his extra, extra, his responsibilities were over. But from God's point of view, his responsibilities were just beginning, you see. St. Augustine, who I mentioned earlier, said this about this parable 1,500 years ago. He did not realize that the bellies of the poor were much safer storerooms than his barns. Mm. Mm. And so Jesus' word to this man is, look, you have a bigger problem than your brother. It, the question is not who gets the inheritance. The question is, who gets your heart? Wow. Is that not relevant for our world today or what? Is not that not relevant for our life? Who gets your heart? And, and so, he, so here's our big idea. Here's the point. I mean, and it's, can, can it be any clearer? When you give to those in need, you kill the sin of Greed. When you give to those in need, you kill the sin of greed. Now, now, w- what does that look like in real life? Well, um, as a church family, so there's a two applications. There's an application as a church family, and there's an application individually. And so, as a church family, ah, uh, I just thank God for uh, yesterday's first Saturday service. We we had um, I don't know over a hundred households laura is that right uh, that and she's going to come up and share a little bit more about this that that, that beautiful day of worship and ministry uh, uh where we we god god is just given god gave to all of the clients and guests who came through his people here at windsor road and it's by god's grace that that happens and oh i wish you could have been in uh the the garage area where uh, we witnessed hospitality and prayer and fellowship and connection it wasn't just here take the food now go on it's it's let's 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 have some refreshments together let's talk let's converse how are you doing how can we pray and the and the nations gathered yesterday as we were able to share uh, God's grace tangibly that's what it looks like corporately speaking that's what, and by God's grace, by God's grace, this past summer, uh, our church family we were able to dedicate an entire Sunday offering uh, in the neighborhood of twenty eight thousand uh, dollars, half of which went to food relief, and the other half went to Restoration Urban Ministries, and 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 so, so, you know, instead of asking. God to finance our story we have asked to enter his story and this is who he's led us to to God be the glory so that's that's a beautiful thing here that's a beautiful thing that when I read this passage it just encourages me to think more and more this is what it looks like to be rich to God this is what it looks like to be rich to God because when you give to those in need you kill the sin of greed you kill the sin of greed. That's corporately. Now, now, personally, pers- how does that happen on an individual basis? Well, here, here let, me just, let me just try to break it down. Um, write down in your notes 10, 10, 80. 10, 10, 80. And so, so it goes something like this. God wants me to be rich toward him to the tune of 10%. That's that's a biblical baseline. That's a floor that we can grow from. So so before I fund my kingdom, I'm going to fund God's kingdom. And then and then that's so that's the first 10. Then the next 10 is I'm going to I'm going to be thinking about the future. I'm going to be thinking about the future, and so I'm going to set aside another ten percent. You can call it retirement. You can can call it a, a, a future fund. Uh, you can call it the Ant Academy Fund from Proverbs chapter six. Proverbs chapter six, and and then and then and then there's the eighty. I'm going to live off the rest. So 10%, I'm going to start, and that's the baseline. That's where it's going to start. 10% to God, and then I'm going to put aside 10% uh, in the Ant Academy wisdom of Proverbs chapter 6, and, and, then, and then I'm going to live off the rest. And then as my income grows, uh, I'll give more than 10%, I can save more than 10%, and I adjust my living expenses. I, and, 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 church family, that's been the bolting house. Practice since 1984 when I got $289 a week being a youth minister at the Church of Christ at Harrison, Ohio. Okay? So, I mean, it's wisdom that lasts throughout the phases of your life. But what happens is we live in a culture, you know this. We live in a culture that encourages us to chase an income with a lifestyle, which creates artificial poverty. And then when a disaster strikes, we want to cut a deal with God and write a $20 check to a walkathon. And we do that out of guilt and emotion. And then we say, wow, I'm generous. Well, you no, know, you're not, really, because your lifestyle has not been impacted by your generosity because the assumption is that the extra is for me, and then you try to eke out a $50 contribution. But when, but when you become a percentage priority giver at whatever stage you are and you plan your giving, then the guilt is gone. And so when someone comes knocking on my door next Saturday morning asking for a donation to their cause, I can either say, yes, I'll support you because I have money set aside this month for that special occasion. Or you can say, no, no, thank you. I'd love to help, but my giving is already spoken for. And because you've prioritized and planned ahead, you've determined that your lifestyle is not going to be based on Madison Avenue or your next-door neighbor or your coworker, or even the person in your circle of friends at church. Jesus says that money is a spiritual issue and spending is a spiritual decision. And so he asks, what does God want you to do with your extra? What does God want you to do? And so when you have that question, we push the pause. Well, what what if we say, well, you know, I have more than I need. I have enough already. And if I buy this thing, then I'm going to have to maintain it and clean it and dust it and wash it, polish it and wax it and sweep it and it's work, 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 work. What should I be doing with this extra? Maybe God wants me to give it to somebody else. Maybe. And when we start thinking like this, our lifestyle stops chasing our income. The the temptation is to assume that this is just about money. It's not. It's about a kingdom perspective, church, where I share not just money but my life and my abilities, All I have is surrender to God for his glory. All kinds of greed gets broken by all kinds of giving. And, you know, I want to make sure this is very clear here. So many of you here in this room have been, are doing this. I mean, we wouldn't be able to be worshiping in a facility like this Our children would not be able to be worshiping in a facility that they have. We we wouldn't be having the care over this property. We wouldn't be having the the impact globally and locally if we didn't follow this wisdom. I I guess I just want to affirm, stay the course, church. Stay the course. All kinds of greed gets broken by all kinds of giving. I I, I got a letter from one of you, um, and I want to share this with you. This just, this just, this is a yay God letter. Uh, Randy, on, on Sunday morning, I was given a $20 bill by my mother. Do something fun, she said. Randy, it's been the most fun I've had with a $20 bill. I decided to give it to my son, who is in college and could use the gas money. So after I gave it to my son, I arrived home, and there was a birthday card in the mail for me. Inside the card was $20. <laughs> I thought to myself, well, God just replaced the $20 I gave my son. So, so I decided to put the second $20 in the offering plate. Keep giving it away, I said. And and when I returned home after church, I found a $20 bill sitting on top of my microwave. This was odd because I rarely use cash. I know I didn't have $20. So I remembered that I owed a friend $20, and I gave it to her. When I got to work on Tuesday, my boss had a little birthday gift for me. You guessed it, a $20 bill. So I knew that God wanted me to continue with what he had started, so I prayed about it, and he led me to someone who needed to be reminded or even told for the very first time that God loved her. So I sent an anonymous note telling her how much God loved her and that this was a very small reminder of just how much he did. And, and Randy, now I'm waiting anxiously for my next $20 and excited to see where God leads me with it. But, but Randy, this reminded me of the fish and the loaves. And I've been able to give $20 to four different people, and it all came back from one $20 bill. I hope he continues this because this is fun. Yay, God. And, and the fun for me is that I get to be this person's pastor. And yeah. here's the deal. God's given us more than $20. He's given us a life. It's his life, not ours. He gave us the life of his son. And Jesus said, Father, take my life into your hands. I commend my spirit. He said, he said Father, take my hands and feet. And when he did, they were nailed to the cross. And then he said, take my lips. And when he did, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. And now having bought us and redeemed us, he loans us the very life we have, our hands and feet and lips and abilities and gifts and talents. It's all God's church. And in the end, someone else will get this, but you have it now in your stewardship, your trusteeship, your custody for a limited amount of time and a limited amount of opportunity. God gives us more than we need so that we can help those who are in need and Jesus promises us promises us God will take care of you my father will not defraud you he won't that's why he says later on in chapter 12 consider the ravens consider the ravens 1224 <laughs> what are ravens well they're oversized crows that's what, they, what are crows? They're flying garbage disposals. That's what they are. They eat anything. To the Hebrews, they're unclean. Yet God feeds them. God feeds them. And you matter more. He's going to take care of you. You ask, what's going to happen to my health? He's going to take care of you. You say, well, well what's going to happen with Ukraine or Israel or the other war-torn places of this world? I don't know. He's going to take care of you. What's going to happen to my job? He's going to take care of you. Look at chapter 12, verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's your Father's good pleasure. Not, to not, he's not going to sell it to you or trade you or loan you. He's going to give it to you. He's a giver. You can't contain all that God delights to give. So be generous. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also.